With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org slash lost. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. My thesis is that the recession changed the mindset of the upcoming generation, where kids who were 10, 12, whatever, when their parents were getting laid off in 2008, internalized this thing and maybe not have been able to even articulate it, but was that nobody is going to take care of you but you it's on you you know and, and the evidence is in the numbers you know there's a thousand questions about money and entrepreneurship and i think also people understand that money isn't just about what's in your account like mo- like there's almost like a power to money like you need to think about how you think about money it can't just be am i going up or am i going down it's like Should I do a prenup? Is debt a deal killer in a relationship? Like, what are the different powers behind money and and what you could do with it? Like, should you be gifting? How do you think about tipping? Like, all these kind of social contracts we have in society and ideas are worth thinking about and understanding to really understand money as opposed to, again, did my brokerage account go up today? Did it go down? And that defines you as a person. That will start. It's good to have the chit chat. So excited about this podcast. My old friend, Nicole Lapin. Colin, old. Yeah, well, we knew, we've known each other since what, 2005, That's 2006? True. When did you start That's at CNBC? Decade. Yeah, a decade ago. Yeah, so at least since you, so you were the 5 a.m. anchor on, on CNBC. Yeah. And you were great. Everyone loved you. And then. I was on once a week, basically, for I don't know how long it was, but I was on once a week. It was like a regular thing. And we would have so much fun, basically, analyzing the markets when nobody in the United States was watching. But you tell me, <laughs> everybody in Europe was watching. So Totally. But there was like no oversight in the US. None of the executives were watching, so we caused so much trouble. Right. Like, you basically, like normally when... I remember the, and by the way, also my new friend as of just this past year, Jason Pfeiffer, editor-in-chief at Entrepreneur Magazine. Welcome, Jason. Thank you for having me. And you guys have been doing a a podcast together called Hush Money. So we're going to talk about every fun, relatable issue of money, such a topic near and dear to my heart. But I I was going to say, normally when people go on TV, they're a little nervous, right? Like the very first time I was on CNBC, I was scared out of my mind. And then I got used to it, but- Going on, we would go on for an hour. You're an expert, Nicole, so you you know everything. But for me, <laughs> going on an hour at five in the morning, it was like, who gives a shit? Like we could say whatever we want. Like at five in the morning, no True one, story. 
I mean, people people were listening. Like you would see tweets and stuff. Like people were listening, and but it was just more fun. People were listening because they knew we were having fun with it, and that's the best way to do TV, I think. Yeah, and it's the best way to be at five o'clock in the morning. I mean, is there anything else to do but have so much fun? I mean, we're going to talk uh, about hush money in a second, but what time did you have to wake up every day? I didn't go to bed. That's the thing. Like, did you I ever would sleep? Go- not really. Um, so for a while I was doing like Cudlow's show too. So I was doing the first, very first oh, show. I was doing once a week on Cudlow's show. See? And then I'd go back and forth because we were in Jersey at the time. And so um, when I first moved to New York, like I knew nobody. I was 25. Like I didn't come from this world. You know my whole spiel. And uh, I needed to source and like book guests. So I'd go out at night. And then I'd go straight from like being out at dinner to the studio and I may or may not have had like wine and whatever. <laughs> so that's what made it more fun. That's what made 5 a.m.s more interesting. I think that should be you know? your next book is 5 a.m.s Drinking on the air. <laughs> so wait, and then you what? Then you'd, go, then you'd go home and, and sleep then, at noon? Yeah, and then I did like all the other shows. So Morning Joe and a bunch of like Today Show and whatever when, when those shows came on after... My show was over at 6 a.m. And then I would go do stories. Like I'd fly and interview the governor of Washington State and come back and like go to Cudlow. And like I just slept one hour. So my body just shut down. Yeah, you know, this is a job only a 25-year-old could that's, do. That's true. Like, yeah, like messing like, up your body rhythm is... is did did no you way. actually feel any effects from that? Did you get sick? I got sick all the time. Like my body just shut down. Like I felt jet lagged all the time. I felt like my my... Skin was tingling. I randomly had pink eye and like a tooth infection. My body was like, fuck you. Like, that's all, you that's all stress related, this. right? Like totally. all those things Hives, are like, related to stress. Yeah. So, so, but it's interesting though, because like you say, you go, went on these other shows. It's bec- like most anchors don't go on other shows, I feel like. If someone's like the anchor at 11 a.m., all right, they're just replaced at noon with the next anchor. But because you were the only anchor awake when news was breaking so early in the morning all around the world. It made sense that you would then go on Good Morning America. There, Everybody's just waking up. You've already been like, you know, neck deep in the, in the markets for five hours. It makes sense that you would then go on these morning shows and inform people what's going on. So you become both an anchor and an expert at the same time. Yeah, I went on the Golf Channel when Comcast bought NBC. And uh, I still have like the craziest, most rabid golf following. It's so weird. So like some of the executives called me in and they were like, we have a really big thing to tell you. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be in the face of NBC News. Like, this is going to be amazing billboards and buses. They're like, we want you to be on the Golf Channel. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> where is Ashton? What the fuck is going on? Am I getting punked? They're like, no, no, Brian Roberts, like who ran Comcast, like loves the Golf Channel. And so this is this crossover effort. I was like, this is a joke. Like, I'm just going to go on. Like, I don't know about your birdies and eagles, dudes. Like, whatever you guys do on the golf course, like, I'm here to tell you about the Dow. But it became this shtick thing. And people are now like, yeah, where are you from the golf channel? Also, you figure who's watching the golf channel? It's investors Same. are watching the golf channel. Like, yeah. It's Same. not like other than like, you know, golf caddies or whatever who are obsessed with golf. Like, who, who's it's, playing golf? It's people who are like retired doctors. Guys, yeah, guys who care about money and chicks and sports. And it like flips for one and two with highest net worth viewing audience for sure. Wow. Yeah. So I would go and explain what happened overnight in the markets and probably what James and I like riffed on, which were, you know, by the way, like closing bell in Asia, middle of day in Europe, like the whole and world is awake. It wasn't like we were idiots. They were, I thought they were, I thought those were the best shows I ever did on CNBC. Aww. So, cause every other point you, you, you know, and you've, you, you've been on a lot also, Jason, mm-hmm. like you, you get like three minutes to talk about all of your opinions <laughs> and it's just not 
a real conversation. No. You know, and it's like, it's like just intended, like, can we get the conversation antagonistic enough so we can get it to the next ad spot? Oh, there we are. Okay, now get line up the next people. And you know, those those times at like 5 a.m. or even things like podcasts, like you, you know, we're gonna talk about your hush money podcast. That's when you can have a real conversation that's in depth and and you know what I love about your podcast so much is that it's not you're not just talking about like oh well here's the statistics on you do talk about statistics but it's not just here's the statistics on this um problem it's like your personal experiences and you know you get very transparent about your lives and your backgrounds and I think that's that's new for a financial podcast and it's and it's a great thing cuz listeners don't want to hear pundits they want to hear your story your story what did you do like you know pre let's let's go into one of the issues right now this is the one you had dr oz on so you have great guests on as well um prenup to prenup or not when you get married so you know donald trump of course the president of the united <laughs> <Yeah>. states <laughs> always advises in his books for the past 30 years you must get a prenup or you'll go broke because he's been divorced so many times he gets prenups and you had differing opinions and i'm just curious like what first of all by the way first of all how yeah. did you decide to do this podcast before we get into prenups <laughs> <laughs> opening with prenups um well we got it starts with nicole i mean I, like my my start was that i got a text from nicole saying do you I, want to do a I was podcast? in can and i was i just had like a bottle of rose or something i feel like you <laughs> name dropped that <laughs> like you were no, at the most important film festival no, no, uh, of oh, all time oh, just hanging out no no i was at the nerd can i was at can lion I was not at the film festival. That is far too cool for me, for sure. So I was uh, doing like nerd stuff with a bunch of advertisers and whatever. And we had just seen each other at a conference. Mm -hmm. And um, and I was like, I want to, I should do a podcast. I mean, James has been telling me for a decade to do a podcast. I feel like maybe our show was like pre-podcast. It was yeah, like podcast we had on the an air. hour to we just, just talk. Riffed about whatever. And so I hadn't done a podcast and I saw Jason. And most of the stuff I do is like chicky stuff. So... You know, I talked to women about money um, and I never did a show with a guy. Uh, and I was like, Jason's like the the dude version of me, which I'm <laughs> sorry. Um, no, I, would say, I, I take that as a, as a nice compliment. No, yeah, but, you know, but, but I do. And yeah. I, I'm sorry to interrupt because I'll, I'll expand on what she said. You know, you're editor in chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. I feel like the world has shifted from, hey, should I buy Apple stock or not? To, hey, what's the right business I should start or can I start a business or how do I quickly start a business or what side hustle I can do I feel yeah. like I feel like these ne next generations are much more interested correctly I think in entrepreneurial thinking than oh is Google a good buy which is mm -hmm. so kind of mindless ultimately totally I my thesis is that the recession changed the mindset of the upcoming generation where kids who were 10, 12, whatever, when their parents were getting laid off in 2008, internalized this thing that they maybe not have been able to even articulate, but was that nobody is going to take care of you but you. And then you get old enough to put that into action. And what that means is to have a vision and control your future. And, and, and the people that you then idolize are the people who already did that, who went out and built something for themselves and really controlled it and had a vision. And that's so different from, right, like through throwing money into Google because you can't control that. You can like read and whatever, but it's, it's gambling, right? It's gambling. It's not, it's not controlling your future. But entrepreneurship is 
as best anybody can, because of course there's no guarantees in entrepreneurship, but you are putting all your chips in on yourself. And I think that people find that very satisfying. And they, in a way, despite the crazy roller coaster that entrepreneurship is, it is calming in a way because it's on you. It's on you. You're not at the whim of some giant company that may or may not want to employ you tomorrow. It's on you. You know, and, and the evidence is in the numbers. Like in 2009, something like $100 billion was in what are called exchange traded funds, which are stocks that just move with the entire market. Like mm -hmm. you don't have to think about stocks, they just move with the market. And now $4 trillion is invested in those, which just shows that mm. people don't care. They're just passively, those are just savings accounts, just putting money in those things. And so you're right. I think most of the questions I get, for instance, in my daily activities are about like, okay, would you look at this business or what do you think of this business idea? Or what did you do when you first started a business? Like, you know, there's a thousand questions about money and entrepreneurship. And I think also people understand that money isn't just about what's in your account. I'm curious what you guys think of this. It's mm -hmm. not just about the number in your account. Like, like there's almost like a power to money. Like you need to, you, you, you need to think, think about how you think about money. It can't just be, am I going up or am I going down? It's like, should I do a prenup? Should I, um, is debt a deal killer in a relationship? Like what are, what are the different powers behind money and, and what you could do with it? Like, should you be gifting? Should you, how do you think about tipping? Like what, all these kind of social contracts we have in society and, and, and ideas are worth thinking about and understanding to really understand money as opposed to, again, is, did my brokerage account go up today? Did it go down? And that defines you as a person. Yeah. I, so I think Nicole had come up with this line that we maybe used in the intro of our show. I can't remember, which is that if you're not talking about money, you're not making it. And oh, uh, I love I, that. Yeah. I really like that line because it, if you're not, if you don't have a philosophy for yourself about how you manage your money and think about it and think about the way that money impacts and influences your life, then you're not going to be strategic about it. And that's not just talking about investing. That's talking about everything. Because if you don't know what your philosophy is, then you're going to be afraid to make decisions at the time when you really need to make a decision. And that decision could be a business decision or it could be a personal decision. And you need to know where you stand on these things. And I think a lot of people don't. I think that's the power, that, that's the power of talking about it is that people want to hear other people talk about it because they're afraid to talk about it themselves. Yeah, and I think, I think also like... Uh, people sometimes might hear that and, and they might think, oh, philosophy about money. Okay, I'm either, I, I either spend a lot or I'm frugal or I'm miserly, you know, but I think there's a lot more subtleties and nuances in that. It's like kind of taking care of your money in, in, is important as opposed to saying, oh, I'm always going to be frugal or I'm always going to spend and give when I can. And, you know, I think there's, again, a lot of nuances and you talk about this in your podcast, like we'll get into gifting, tipping, all this stuff. But again, Prenups is something everyone, every couple talks about at some point. A friend of mine recently uh, got married and the, the prenup was a huge issue. I, I recently got married. I'm about to have my first anniversary. Uh, it wasn't Yay. an issue in, in for us at all, but I, I do know many cases where it was such a strong issue, like it was relationship threatening. Mm -hmm. So I know where you stand already, but what, how about you? This is just an example. One of your podcasts, we'll talk about a bunch of them and other stuff, but where do you stand, Jason, on, on the prenup thing? You're... You're yeah, so I'm married. I got married in 2011, and I we don't have a prenup, and the it never occurred to us to talk about it. 
it was it was understood by both my wife Jan and I that this was not something we were going to do. Now we both, for what it's worth, entered the relationship at fairly equal financial footing. Uh, so there wasn't a giant lopsidedness to it, which which maybe would have changed the conversation. I it wouldn't. I, I don't feel like it would have for me, but I can understand how that could change. And the thing that I feel very strongly about is that you go into marriage with the plan to stay in marriage, like that. Like I, <laughs> Donald Trump uh, advises a prenup because he seems to have the expectation that getting into this relationship won't be a lifelong commitment. But I guess uh, and but I wonder so, if that's like thinking like any yeah. lawyer though, and not that he's yes. a lawyer, obviously, but you know, you 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 expect the best but plan for the worst, and that's what a prenup does. Right. I totally get that. I I, I get that. But speaking personally for me, and this is this is the kind of subject that I wouldn't suppose to tell other people how they should like live their lives uh, and manage their relationships and money. But for me, there was a psychological barrier that would have been erected if we had said, let's plan for how to divide our money at the very beginning of this. To me, I am, I am all in on this. And that means that I am all in with everything that I've got. And what I've got is some, you know, whatever I've got, but it includes some money. And so I don't, I don't want to have that. I, that feels like a dividing line that I would carry through my relationship. And that's deeply uncomfortable to me. And so you, the, the one thing that we do have, uh, for what it's worth, is we have... So my wife and I bought it. We bought a, 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 a like a two bedroom apartment in Brooklyn, which you know is a small amount of space for a large amount of money because that's Brooklyn. One, one bedroom each if you get divorced. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, one kitty. Yeah, one right. We can split everything up nicely. Um, and we so my my wife's extended family has a, built a very large company, and so there was some like money in a trust for her. I mean, not a ridiculous, but like. There was some money, and we put that money into the into the apartments. How we got the apartment, and uh, and her family wanted me to sign a thing, saying that if we got divorced, that I wouldn't get that money, and um, I didn't like that because there was a level of to me there was a level of distrust built into that request, but I also don't want anybody to think that I'm in this relationship because of like the money in that trust. Like, I don't want that money. I don't want your money. I don't want your money. So I signed that. Did that, did that af affect your relationship with them? No, no, it didn't. It didn't because we all moved on from it very quickly, but I have to say, I didn't like it. Um, it didn't feel trusting and so, I want everything to be trusting. So I want to unpack this in a second, but I want to, Nicole, you, you have a different view on prenups. I think, right? Yes. Let's have changed. <laughs> I also haven't been married. So maybe my view isn't the right view. But I... I don't think there's a right or wrong, though. You know, I think, you know, a lot of my girlfriends who are getting married feel like this is a deal breaker. Like, they don't want to sign a prenup. Like, how could somebody force them to sign a prenup? So I just try to flip that on its head and say, like, I want my future husband, if I get married, uh, to sign a prenup. Like, I've worked really hard. I've built my own wealth. Like, I want to protect that as well. So instead of coming to this from, like, this preconceived idea of, 
you know, deprivation, I come to it from almost a place of aspiration where I'm like, no, this is almost, this is an empowering conversation that I'm well, looking forward to having. What if, what if the person you married is, let's just hypothetically say a billionaire. Okay. And, uh, he wants a prenup, but maybe also you want a prenup because maybe you feel like, okay, you're going to give up because a billionaire lifestyles is large maybe you're going to give up some of your career aspirations to support whatever he's doing. Maybe you feel then entitled to, do you, do you take that view on a prenup as well? If it's going the other direction? Um, well, I've had these conversations as well. I think that for me, um, when I do get married, I also, uh, want to be all in. Um, and if I get divorced, like, I don't think I, I either want half of, things and vice versa, because I think that that's more philosophically aligned or nothing. Like I don't want a prize for getting divorced. That doesn't seem right to me. Yeah. Cause I think one opinion is, is basically if, if, if you get a prenup, it's put, like you're putting an expiration date on the marriage because you see a lot of cases where, oh, after five years, it doesn't apply anymore. And then in four years, 364 days, like people file for divorce. Mm. So, cause there, I bet you there is some correlation I mean, I've just heard this as advice, but I but I bet there is some correlation between the different time points on a prenup and divorces. Well, that's I, messed up. Yeah, but. but I wouldn't doubt it because now you're you've put a time. Here's the thing: it's like if you put a time on which some uh, like a prenup division expires, then what you've functionally done is put a time in which you have to make the final decision. But to me, the final decision should have been at the very start. The final decision was to get married. That's the final decision. So don't build in a secondary final decision. At that point, what you've done is psychologically trained yourself to be evaluating the relationship all the way through. Do I want to stay in this? Do I really feel right about this? Am I ready to give up my money to this person? Like, what a crazy thing to do to yourself. Yeah. It's like, it's like I remember I had a, a, a version of this that's not a version like this at all, but there was this time in which I, I was with a, I had like a long-term girlfriend a long time ago, long before I met my wife. And there was a time where we were trying to decide whether or not to break up. <laughs> Have you guys had an experience like this? And so you're like, I've never, I've never had any breakups. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, I am so successful in relationships. <laughs> I'm just like, I could be Oprah practically. <laughs> well, then I'll tell you what it's like. Um, it's awful. You, you go through this relationship and you try to act the way that you did before things were wrong, but at the same time, constantly monitoring it for whether or not this is something that you want to continue in or you want to end. And you're both doing that. And you know that the other one's doing that. And it is unfixable. There's, it, it's unsurvivable. The relationship will end. So why build that into something that's supposed to actually be a final decision? But, but you know, you, Nicole, you said when we first described uh, uh, a situation that maybe divorces are correlated with dates and prenup. You said, "Oh, that's messed up." And then, and you, you said, "Why put that added pressure on?" And also, you described your initial reasoning. Maybe a little bit. I'm wondering is how much of this is you guys being too tied up in money being connected to the relationship, as opposed to a prenup being separate from the relationship and just a transaction when bad it things is. happen. And you know, friends of mine who have signed prenups, like had a whole dinner or whatever where they threw it in the fire and they're like, we did it, it's done. And I really like having these awkward conversations. Like, I like having clarity. Like, I have some friends who are married or have kids and have no idea what their 
significant other makes. I think that's bananas. That is bananas. And so I just really like to be super upfront. And these are uncomfortable conversations. And I, you know, left network news for business because I think every story goes back to money and it's not like the numbers and the stocks and the bonds and the yields and the spreads and the whatever wonky stuff. I think the math, like a fifth grader can do, it's the humanities part that's the most difficult part. It's the relationships part that's most tricky. Right. So let's say you get married and assuming you'll get married and, 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 uh, you want to do a prenup and let's say you make significantly more than your new husband. Uh, and you're, you're basically suggesting whatever you make, before and after the marriage is yours and whatever he makes before and after is his. And that's the pre, is that what no, you No, I don't think that, that that doesn't have to be a prenup. A prenup okay. can be whatever you want it to be. Prenup can be like, it's all together or it's nothing. Or, you know, there are different celebrities who have had different clauses of, you know, we, we went through this on yeah, that episode. Yeah, you a bunch of like Mark Zuckerberg, ones. I think, has one, uh, some clause in his that uh, they have to have date night or something like that. There are or he get divorce her and get a billion. <laughs> <laughs> a billion for every week they didn't do a date night. <laughs> or like cheating clauses or other other things. Like it can be whatever the couple wants it to be. So I don't, my, you know, imaginary future husband, I, I have no idea what it's going to look like, but I know it's going to be a conversation. It's just going to be a conversation up front and you never have to have the conversation again. Have you seen the TV series Succession on HBO? So there's a, there's a prenup in there. There's about a billionaire media family and there's a prenup conversation in there where basically she's a lot, she's the, from the family and he isn't, he's marrying into it. She's allowed to cheat. But I, if I remember correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, anyone who's watched Succession, Steve, I don't know. Um, in, in her prenup with the guy, I forget his name, all their names. Um, she's allowed to cheat, but he isn't right. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about Shiv yeah. and Tom. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's like an open marriage, but no, he he can do what he wants to do too. But like he gets nothing if in certain cases if she cheats yeah. and she get divorced. I don't know. There was something one-sided about it, I remember. But it could get, like you said, it could get really emotional like because you start to think about all these worst-case scenarios that could happen in the relationship. And so you almost can't help tying it together when you throw in all those morality clauses or, or relationship-related clauses as opposed to just money, as opposed to making it just about math. Yeah, and also debt. I mean, going in, you're you're taking somebody else's debt, so it's not just the money that you're making. Like, I don't. Are you? Are you taking someone else's debt? I don't, I don't take somebody's debt. I'm not. A, I guess it depends on how you structure the. I mean, you talk about finances. this in another podcast, but do you take the? And also, state by a lot of these laws are state by state. Like divorce in New York, is I sort of feel like, and this is a little bit related to like Dr. Oz was in this podcast, and and I, you know, sometimes you have to look at the state laws because sometimes they. State by state, they take care of it for you a little bit. Yeah, but do you want the state to take care of it or do you want to take care of it? Well, you can take care of it given what you know of the state's laws. Sure. Or <laughs> you can just do your own document, which is, I I agree with you. I think it's a transaction that's separate from the, the relationship itself. I mean, right. But this is the tricky thing about so many of these situations is that, yes, technically speaking, even if there is a business-like decision, a financial decision that is being layered over a personal relationship, it is almost impossible to take them as completely separate. It's, it's, I, I think we found in the show that Nicole is able to separate the two a lot more than I can. And so for me, what I try to do is reconcile what feels right for both sides of this. Like what, what is both the financially logical thing to do, but also the personally logical thing to do? And where can we meet in the middle on that? Because let's 
let's just be honest, it's not possible for everybody to separate these things. And so you have to do what's right for you, given how you know you're going to react. I mean, uh, what, what, so summarize what Dr. Oz said to you and his wife, Lisa. They had the same philosophy you did, the pack one suit philosophy, yeah. which yes. is basically Jason's favorite team, the Miami <laughs> Heat, going like, to championship. Uh-huh. That's my great metaphor about uh, about about going all in. So, right to uh, for for basketball or non basketball fans, uh, the Miami Heat. There was once I grew up as a Miami Heat fan. Uh, the Miami Heat were traveling to Dallas uh, NBA Finals. They had there were two games left in this series. If they won one of these two games, then they won the championship. There were two games, but of course, you do not want to lose that first game because then it's game seven and you're on the opponent's turf and the chances are against you, which means you got to win that first game. You want to win that first game. You have two shots at it. You should take the first one. And so Pat Riley, the coach of the Miami Heat, tells his team, pack one suit, pack one suit, pack one shirt, pack one tie, one pair of underwears. Like we are going to pack for one game because that's all the time we're going to be there. We're going to win that first game and we're going home champions. And I love that metaphor. Don't pack two suits with the expectation that you might be there. Pack one suit because you're going and you're going to win the first damn time. And that's what they did. They won. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that metaphor, I, I've, I've heard it in different contexts as well. Like that's a really good, like there's no plan B. Like right. we're going to get this. Burn the ships. Yeah, or, or nothing. And, Maybe and, I just have heavier baggage. I don't know. <laughs> pack, well, okay. I pack more clothes. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests. And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? 
answer to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like, I'd rather do anything then go to the doctor or the dentist or a pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? <laughs> Yes, I definitely gonna use him for now. Not on. that you need it. You're you're young and healthy, James. I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at Hims com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hims.com slash James. That's how I, how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs Hims. That's Hims.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hims.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Can I tell you, uh, so I've been divorced twice and can I tell you about what I did? So Please. I didn't do a prenup in either one and I didn't do a prenup for my my last and final marriage that's going to last forever. Uh, but in the first one, we got divorced. But what we did was, because it was so confusing 
financially. And this, the, the legal divorce happened right around the time of the financial crisis. So that made it even more confusing. We put, we, it's almost like we got legally and emotionally divorced, but we put all our assets into a company we jointly owned with the idea that in good faith, we'd figure it out later. Mm -hmm. And a few years later, we did figure it out and dissolved that hmm. company. So again, this was kind of putting it at the moment of divorce, putting it in our hands instead of paying. We, we For the entire divorce, we paid $1,000. We used a lawyer who didn't have, he only had a typewriter, he didn't have a computer, he was like 90 years old, and <laughs> no prenup, nothing, no, and no divorce agreement really. It was just, we're divorced, one page, and then we did this other separate company that we moved everything into. And then we figured it out like, you know, three or four years later. I love that. And, and, and then, you figured it out three or four years later because at that point, emotions had died down and you were able to just think about it more logically. Yeah. Financial emotions had crisis. died down. Life situations had died down. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, making more money and could, we could work out more what support means. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, I was better able to sort of monetize these assets. So then I could provide steady support. It was, you know, then it was just a rational decision. You, you would hope, I think the hope is always is that a couple, you know, gets into a relationship because they want to, and then they get out of a relationship and, and because they want to, because they avoid, so they avoid the negative emotions. Like you did this, so I'm going to get you. Um, and they can think through these things rationally. And it wasn't easy, but it was, it was kind of the end result appears more rational than it actually was, but that was the end result. And then the second I divorce, that. I basically gave her everything. <laughs> so a hundred percent, just Whoa. knowing that, I, I know how to make money and I'll figure it out. I kind of jumped into the deep end of the swimming pool and she was having some issues and I wanted her to be okay. So I just gave her everything and then started from scratch. That's a bold move. Yeah, it was bold. It was scary. <laughs> Not yeah. casual. So, Well, I think thinking about getting married, you might want to not marry somebody you don't want to be divorced from. Yeah, but sometimes though things happen. Like... You know, yeah. and I'm not even saying one person cheats and the other person doesn't. Sometimes just there's all sorts of situations that could happen that could end a marriage in today's society. So people could just leave and just decide they don't want to be with sure. the other person. So, you know, it gets, it gets complicated. So you kind of have to think a little bit like, oh, what if this ends, particularly if there's a huge imbalance in, in money or earning potential. But I don't know, really, I guess the, the point is, is like with many money issues, there's no real answer and it depends on how deeply intertwined certain emotions you have are about these, you know, money situations. Yeah. yeah, certainly. And I think with a lot of this stuff, you're informed by your own experience or what you've seen around you. And for me, I come from a, uh, I'm, my parents have been married since 1976 and, uh, and happily so. So that's the, that's the model that I come from. And also throughout my life, I've I've put myself in a number of situations uh, where there was kind of no plan B and it worked out okay. And so that also makes me just, it emboldens me to continue moving forward with just plan A. Well, aren't you lucky with the plan A? So far, <laughs> so and far. Nicole, you grew up in a radically Fucked different up. situation. Like, mm -hmm. And how yep. did this, how does this inform your, your opinion on prenups and other issues that we're going to get to? Y yeah, I mean, you're, you can't, no pun intended, divorce your situation from your current feelings. I, I think that I am a product of divorce in a super broken home. And um, 
you know, I think for me, I always want to have my own back. And so I believe in love. I believe in marriage. And um, I'm not jaded. Like, I've had a lot of life experience, but I haven't been broken by it. And so I'd love to, you know, pack one suit. But you don't go into a job thinking you're going to get fired or you're going to get laid off or your department's going to be let go. You don't don't go into these things thinking, you know, that's going to happen. But sometimes it does. And so I just have always come to these issues with having my own back. Okay, well... Another issue I'll just throw out there because it was one of your podcast issues, loaning money to a friend. Nicole, can I borrow some (laughs) money before you leave here? Like $1,000. Can I just No, but you can have it. All right. See, this is how I have I'll take a check for ACH transfer. (laughs) Venmo. Jason says, hell no. Uh, Well, no, I I say uh, sure as long as you're going to pay me back. Which I feel like you would pay me back. We're well, in a we're in a nice living room here. <laughs> Seems like you reasonably could pay me back. Yeah, I uh, so right. Nicole is totally down for the the handout. Thanks, says the world for your various handouts. But that's because she doesn't want the expectation that comes with a loan that could be disappointing and harm the relationship to impact the relationship. I, on the other hand, I just, I'm totally fine to lend somebody money, but if they come to me and ask me for a loan, then I, it, then we treat it like a loan. Then it's got to come back to me. And would, if, you, would you draw up a contract? Would you put in interest payments? Or, no, or would you have the I've, loan backed by real assets? Like the way a traditional loan is done? Well, no, but nobody's ever come to me asking for enough money that that would be necessary. Right? Like I, I've never, I mean, people have asked me for some money, you know, but not like, so much money that I would I would feel like I need to protect myself by some kind of like document need. But 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 you know you're with the prenup stuff. Yeah, you said how the the prenup a loan is essentially a contract. You're giving money yeah. and you expect at some future date to get the money back. And there might be other conditions like interest or if they don't pay back they do X or right. whatever. And the prenup is also a contract. Like some financial arrangement is met and then there might be an endpoint and. You said you don't want the relationship to be burdened by all of this right. kind of fencing, financial fencing around it. And, uh, uh, you know, but here you're willing to be burdened, whereas Nicole isn't. Like, you're, will, you don't want to take the risk that the friendship will be, I'm looking at Nicole, this is on, if you're listening on audio, you don't want to take the risk, Nicole, that your friendship might be burdened by this new financial uh, filter on top of it, but you're willing to to take that risk. You you assess like a bank manager that the friendship can t- handle that risk. So uh, yeah, I'm 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 looking at it in a couple ways. Number one, if somebody, if a friend comes to you and asks for a loan, they have they have already altered the friendship in some way, haven't they? Like they introduced the concept. You either have to say yes or no, or I suppose yes. In Nicole's case, here's a thousand dollars, you don't have to pay me back, and but they do often. They do, right, right, uh, because right because they'd feel bad. I mean, who doesn't feel awkward to have it? But they're putting you in a situation where you have to say yes or no. So they're they're already altering the friendship in some way. So now I'm taking I'm starting from that point. So now what is the way that I think can best respect both of our needs? And if they're asking me for a loan, then they're asking to have some money that they would pay back. I'm not going to charge a friend interest. 
and, and also, I would be totally fine on it coming back to me in quite a while if I knew that they were being responsible. But I don't want to feel taken advantage of, I think is what it really comes down to. And the difference between being willing to put that kind of infrastructure around a friendship versus a marriage is that we we all know that friendships can come and go. And that just is part of life. Whereas the one relationship that you really want to do your best to make sure that it doesn't come and go is is... I guess family and you know in marriage. So would, would the amount of money ch- that you're willing to lend change if it was like a sibling versus a friend? Because siblings don't come and go. I mean, yeah. they do, but not. I would not totally the same way. lend my my. I have a sister. She has never asked me for a loan, nor do I think she would need it. But um, but I would totally. I'd help her out to a far greater extent. I think I would just give. I would just give her money if she needed it. Because I think I think like. I also don't want to be disappointed and I have been disappointed in the past because all these things you, we all make do good things and we all make mistakes. So my guess, maybe you've lent money in the past and you just didn't get it back. So now you're just like, screw it. Uh, you'll give it. Nicole, is that, is, has that happened? I mean, there's this old adage that if you lend your friend money, you have to decide what you want more. The friendship or the money. money. Mm. Or, yeah. or there's another one. If you never want to see someone again, lend the money. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I am a big gifter. So like gifting is one of my love languages. Uh, it's definitely not one of Jason's. Nope. But I, you know, if somebody needs something and they're a really good friend, as you guys know, like truly my friends are my family. And so if they're going to ask me for it, like they're going to, they need it. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to give it to them. And so I know that the character of my friends is is one typically that, that will give it back to me anyway. Do we have to, like, I'm not, bank lapping like i'm not coming up with like basis points that they have to give me back like what percent of your net worth would you give a friend in need Ooh, interesting i have never been confronted with that um i don't know i'm so giving i i may put myself you know in a difficult situation to help somebody else depending if it came to something like that if somebody really needed it like i would i would go to the mat and play in traffic and ride or die or i don't know like give me an example if somebody really needed a significant amount of money like i could change my lifestyle if they were that important to me yeah yeah so like let's say someone was going broke they were gonna have to I don't know, go Get surgery or whatever. Like, but that, to me, like my girlfriends are my sisters. And so it would be the same conversation as like if your sister really like needed a kidney. Mm-hmm. And, like- yet, and yet we all go on Patreon sometimes and support either causes or artistic ventures or even entrepreneurial ventures that we believe in. That's kind of equivalent to just giving a friend money. Yeah, because because it's different, it's a different context. Like, I think context is really important here. So I'm not, like, miserly about it. If It's not like if I go out to dinner with a friend uh, and I and I, I, I and I pick up the check that I expect them to pay me back, right? We're going out to dinner. It's fine. It's fine. It's not like I'm keeping track of money in that way. But the approach of, hey, can you loan me money is a, is a setup in which there is a, mm. a give and a return. Um, and that, that's where, that's where, again, it comes down to me. I don't want to feel taken advantage of. So if there's a situation in which money is exchanged, where there's no like taking advantage, paying for dinner, if you go out with a friend or somebody's 
somebody's in trouble or whatever and they set up a GoFundMe and you give them money. Like there's no expectation at that point. I'm not going to feel taken advantage of because the right, you're making, set up from the beginning. Yeah. Right. It's a, it's, it's a different kind of contract. Right. So, I mean, I could say every time, I've uh, not counting the GoFundMes and the patrons, every time I've either given or loaned a fairly substantial amount to someone close to me, it's 100% of the time turned into a disaster. Giving <laughs> really? or loaned. And it could be because I maybe I didn't respect the money enough. Maybe mm -hmm. I wasn't a good judge of character, although it's hard when it's with family. Um, so, but then what, 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 looking back on those moments, what was the solve? Was the solve to not give them the money in the first place? Was the solve to just give them the money and not expect it to come back? I don't know. Like, so here's, a, I'll give you, a, can I give you an example? Yeah. So, because um, maybe your advice will help me to never do it again. Although, uh, is Robin here? Yeah, so Robin will never let me do it again. <laughs> she's much different than me on, on this. Uh, she's she's very good at... Anyway, boundaries. Boundaries, yes. So very good friend of mine, probably, probably it was like 2008 or, or 2007 or 2000, I forget, but probably, you knew, I think he was a mutual friend of ours, Nicole, um, was going broke, needed to borrow some money, um, was kind of living a slightly larger lifestyle than he needed to. He needed to borrow a, a, a decent amount promised he would pay back in six months. Of course, he didn't pay back in six months. I didn't bring it up because I didn't want him to feel bad. Um, he ended up leaving New York, moving far away. And during the course of the next couple of years, I gave him an idea which to make money, which worked for him. And he made a very quick um, money, let's just say 25 or 30 times the amount I lent him, which was already a, a pretty substantial amount. And so I said to him, oh, so I called him one day and this is like four or five years after I lent him the money and I'd never asked about it. Bro. I said, oh, by the way, remember that one time you asked to borrow and I lent you the money and now you've made all of this money. Maybe now is a good time to give it back. And he's like, I don't remember borrowing money from you. And he had to remember because someone's going to remember when they're going broke and they borrow like this kind of money from someone. And he was a really good friend. Like he was one of my closest friends. And so he says, but if you say I did, I'll, I'll pay you back. I, I'll pay you back. You, you, I, I trust you. You say you lent it. So I said, yeah, I, I lent it to you. Pay it back. He paid it back. And then I never spoke to him again. Man. And I didn't go to his marriage. Wow. To I never communicated with him again. Um, he never responded to hundreds of emails. Because I just, I felt like, I don't know, this betrayal somehow, like it was just weird to me. When something gets weird, I don't, I don't like it, but maybe, maybe I shouldn't have lent. Maybe I should have had a contract uh, if I was actually expecting the money back as opposed to just giving it. Um, maybe I should have uh, attached it to this business idea I gave him, although I didn't really need, you know, to benefit from that. Uh, or maybe I should have forgiven him. I don't know what the answer is. I think it worked out okay for you. I think you got your money back and you found out that this dude is a piece of shit. Yeah. And you're not friends. That, that's that's how I view it. That's why I don't, I mean, to this day, this is like 10 years later, he still reaches out. He doesn't understand, but it's not my obligation to explain it either. And you should send him a link to this episode of the podcast. That's right. He, he might not recognize, he might not recognize himself. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> so, uh, and then also I've, I've given to family and they've, for, oh, you know, whatever family member, they've always forgotten and never remembered. 
and didn't mm. trust me that I gave. And so that would affect familial relationships. Yeah. So. I've never heard the forgotten. Like, who forgets that? I That's know. such a silly What a terrible excuse. excuse. Can't you do better? <laughs> like, right. Yeah, I know. But, but people or, do. Right. Or you literally are the kind of person for whom a friend gives you Robin money. Scoffing. No, I just remembered, yeah, James, you gave me the money. Thanks. <laughs> 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 just be like have good like that's such a sign of your character you don't want people in your life like that yeah that's true it's a good litmus test for the friendship I mean that's awful I don't know that there's anything that you could have done better outside of that you learned that this was a friend maybe I could have just said though trust it, this is just a gift and I should just not have because it, it wasn't later on when I finally asked for it back it wasn't that big a deal to me it was actually a big deal to me at the time when mm. I lent it but when I asked for it back, it wasn't a big deal, but I just felt it was fair to give it back, particularly since I had helped to make him come back from the grave, essentially. See, this is this is where, you know, to go back to the thing I said earlier, like if, if you understand what your philosophy is, if if you're if you're able to confront your own feelings on money enough that you know how you think and react to money, then it will help guide you through a situation like this. So for me, at least. Uh, there's no way that I could have given what sounds like a substantial amount of money to a friend, even if they, even if, even if I framed it as a gift, I would have expect, I just would have expected something in return. And I couldn't, they, just that they walked away from it and then never, never tried to give it back to me or whatever. Even if I called it a gift, I totally would have expected it back. Right. So, so it's interesting because I think my problem was, and this relates to just how I think about the energy of money. Like there's, there's three skills to money, making it, uh, keeping it and growing it. And they're mutually exclusive skills. Mm. So I've always been good at making it in one way or the other. I'm kind of like, I have, not that I have any special skills, and uh, but I have a bunch of skills together that help me make. And, but in terms of the, it took me a long time to figure out the skills, even the beginning skills of keeping it. And I think I let things just slip through like sand too easily. And so I didn't respect it enough when I made it, like how hard it was to make. And, you know, so lending or giving or all these things, I didn't really put the right boundaries on it somehow. I don't know. I don't know. There's like nuances of what I could have done differently. Like, like, you, like maybe I shouldn't have done it at all. I said, look, I'm going through my own thing. I can't do it. Um, sorry. Maybe I could have just done it as a gift. Maybe I could have put a contract around it. And then... And then it's sort of natural almost that I'm going to be betrayed afterwards just because I didn't respect it going out. How could I respect that it's going to come back in? Huh. I don't know if that makes sense. It's sort of like a woo-woo way to look at money, but I kind of think money is an energy. It is. And it converts into this world, and that energy converts into this world uh, in terms of money, in terms of currency. And Jason and I talk about this often. Mm. He doesn't like my woo-woo take on, on money energy yeah, either. I can't get into woo-woo at all. But I think that when you need money, it's actually better to give more money out because it comes back to you. Yeah, or it's sort of or, the law of attraction. Or, or to put your mind in that mode where you're being very creative about how you could help others make it. It's going to be natural that it's not even in this you know, new age way. It's just like, if you're in that mode where it's about money creation, even for somebody else, it's going to cycle around. Like you're going to be in those waters. Yeah. So. Well, I, I mean, I, I will offer a, a, a non-woo-woo agreement, which is that also if you're in the process of, if you're, 
if you're helping somebody do anything, if you're if you're talking them through whatever, for me, a lot of people want to sit down and have like career conversations because of what I do at Entrepreneur. And I find that talking them through this kind of stuff also just helps me think through my own career stuff because it puts you in that mindset and money and career and anything is also a lot of just pattern recognition. It's just thinking through problems and seeing how they're solved and thinking thinking through how ideas are generated and executed. And by helping somebody else, you put yourself through that mentality too. And that's valuable. Right. But I think the flip side of it is, is when you're not really thinking about money creation, but it's just like sort of just spewing out of you, like in just every direction in random haphazard ways. And, you know, that's as opposed to kind of this very concentrated, like, okay, ideas, we're gonna, you're going to do this business, you're going to do this business, I'm going to do this. You know, that's like a more organized, you know, philosophical way to view money. Like you were saying, you have to have your core principles. I feel like initially I didn't have. So I was like, okay, he needs to borrow, but she needs a gift. And okay, to yes, to all, like, why not? <laughs> and then, like you said, you you expect it back because you have a disciplined way of thinking about it. I had no discipline discussions or thoughts or anything. It was just, I would, yeah. I would kind of, it was more all fear-based. Like, yeah, of course well, I'm going to give this person money because I don't want them to go bankrupt. And I'm, of course I'm going to loan my friend money because I don't want him to not like me. You know, I might have been mm -hmm. all screwed up about everything. Well, I, but that's most people. I mean, this, is why, I mean, this is why I like, talking money with Nicole because Nicole has she's like spends her career talking and writing and thinking about this. And I, I really don't. Uh, I mean, I, I found that stick me in a room with Nicole and force me to talk about this, that I have positions that I like fall back on, but I haven't really thought a lot of them out. I haven't articulated a lot of them. And that is so, I found, I just found that to be an extremely valuable process for, for myself and then I, I hope other people do it too, because you don't really know what it is that you think until you're put up against a situation that you have to react to. And then the next thing that you should do is step back and try to articulate why you reacted that way. So, okay, so this is a smaller issue, I think, but it's an interesting one because I think a lot of people view this, in my opinion, incorrectly, but tipping. You've done an episode on tipping. Well, you know, should it be uh, you know, mandatory already on the check? Should it yeah. be something you choose? You know, and every country's got different, um, either laws or cultural values about this. Like what's, what's your view on tipping? I turned to Nicole. Uh, I love tipping and I, going back to the woo woo-ness, like I think when I am in worse financial situations, the more I give and the more generous I am, the more it comes back to me. And so I generally like to be a big tipper. Um, and Jason feels very uncomfortable around all things tipping. I hate it. But now I think <laughs> by the nature of our show, there's more clarity around yeah. how you feel. Yes. And I think generally we don't use cash. We decided on the show, but we're going to advocate for card companies to hook up more points because we had the points guy on for this episode, yeah. um, Brian Kelly. Um, you know, we had a big idea, a big idea that just got thrown out on the show and somebody needs to do it. I'm going I'm to say it again here so that somebody makes this happen. Why don't credit card companies give bonus points for the tip? Like, 
you should, you get whatever, you get, you know, single points for the meal, but then whatever you put on the tip should be bonus or triple points. I love Why that not? idea. Yeah. It's a win for everybody. It's a PR victory for everybody. That's right. And give, you know, folks uh, squares or Venmo or whatever, like when you're at hotels with the, and, the mm-hmm. bellmen, like, cause I would give, and homeless people, if they had squares, I would totally give so much money right. away. So let's think about this from a <laughs> yeah. policy point of view. It's, it's, it's more revenues for the credit card company mm-hmm. because ultimately um they're getting a percentage on it right they they get the percentage first and the the points as we know is the float like an insurance company is how warren buffett makes his money is always investing in businesses with these you you Loyalty. you get the money up front but you don't have to spend it maybe for years and a lot of people forget to spend their points so so it's a win for the credit card company they'll make more money it's a win it's a almost from a public policy point of view it's a win for the bottom third of the economy because you know the ones who who make part of their living on tips whether it's a driver or a waitress or a waiter or whatever um they make more money right so that brings up the income it solves income inequality and in it's in its extreme version and it's a win for the individual tipping because it becomes more natural to tip bigger and then you'll get you know the idea theoretically of tipping is that you get treated better next time you're at the place and mm-hmm. and so on. Right. And the people and people are rewarded for doing something nice. And wouldn't it be nice to live in a world in which people just always did the right nice thing because but let's be real, people do it in are often in part because they get something back too. But it's not so bad that the nice natural what should be the nice natural thing to do is also also has incentives on every side totally like, no no, no i think it. that's fine i think it's great reward people for doing nice things people should be rewarded for doing nice things yeah, and also capitalism people are rewarded for innovation yeah and then that's why we have you know someone like elon musk makes rocket ships he doesn't do it for free he right makes money doing it right and and this is and it's, a, it's just such a pr victory why chase the uh, mastercard somebody get in touch, like do this. It's such a PR victory. Everyone will write about it. The ads write themselves. It is awesome. You should do it. And I, and I can, I, I just want to, um, because we've gone a few minutes with me just continuing to say, I hate tipping. I hate tipping. But then I didn't explain just so that people don't hate me. Um, I, it's, I tip, I tip. Um, but, but what I hate 12%, is- 12%, come I, on. No, I tip nicely. <laughs> I tip, I tip, I tip. I'm a very fine tipper. Uh, but the thing that I hate is that we are expected as consumers to place some kind of financial judgment upon everybody who does some service for us. I hate that. What I would rather is that everybody just get paid more and then you just give me one price. Just, I just, the thing that I just kept repeating when Nicole and I were talking about it, just tell me what it costs. I don't want to make a decision about what it costs. You tell me what it costs and I will pay that. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah, because I guess sometimes tipping is very stressful. So like if you're staying in a hotel, do you tip every single person who walks by you or who opens the car door for you or whatever? That gets confusing. And also if you live in a, in particularly Manhattan or anywhere, if you live in a doorman building, how do you... I, I, I've talked to the people in this building. Every single person I've talked to has a different philosophy of how they're going to tip. And they're convinced everyone's doing it the same way that they're doing it. Mm-hmm. But I'm just gathering all the information because I'm going to tip more than all of them. So I yeah. win. <laughs> so so everybody will like me the most. Yeah. Because that's maybe, it's like, I don't know. It's a good but, move. But uh, you know, kind of the, what I think is always, like let's say you're at a restaurant 
and the the meal and you're buying meal for someone, meal comes to a hundred dollars. And everybody, they say on the receipt, they, oh, here's what 18% is. Here's what 14% is. Here's what 22% is. I sort of feel like for the average person, you know, there's no real, like 20% is $20. That's considered a, a good tip, right? But 30% would be cons considered, because people think in percentages, 30% is like considered a mind-blowingly large tip, yeah. but it's actually only $10 more. So I figured I can buy mind-blowing for a trivial amount of money. So <laughs> so it's like I'm by, I'm, by, by, just tip, by just tipping in a above average percentage, yeah. for a relatively little amount, I get to buy mind-blowing. So if I'm ever in the restaurant again, they remember. I and, love that. And, and do they, is, is there an ROI on mind-blowing? Yeah, there is. And, and... Like for instance, at the local cafe I go to, I always get a free coffee and no one minds if I work on my laptop there all morning, whereas they do seem to mind with other people. Mm. And it works It works in almost every situation. I'll tell you one other thing I do with tipping. Most of the time, not every time, but most of the time in cash situations, I will tip exclusively with $2 bills. So then they definitely remember. They remember that you gave more yeah. and they remember that you're that guy with the $2 bills. Yes, that is... That is true. That is smart. So, that's use. I mean, that's using it to your. That's using it to your advantage. Because each two dollar bill yeah. is worth a little bit more emotionally. Sure. To someone. So again, I'm buying value, which is which is memorable. So what do you do? Like you have a whole stack of two dollar yeah, bills. What do you, yeah, do you, I go. Do to you go the to the bank, bank every few months, and I say I'd like, let's say, a thousand two dollar bills, and then they call the Federal Reserve, and the Federal Reserve literally sends them like a packet of a thousand two dollar bills. That's amazing. Uh, when you gave, and me I've been doing this for. 30 years. That's a lot of $2 bills. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so but it's you, paid dividends. What do you say? So what do you just like? You just it keep, has. You just keep a bunch of them in your, in your wallet at any time? Yeah. Yeah. Or I have, like I have just a box filled with them yeah. and then I reach into the box when I'm going out and, and, huh. and use that money. Um, when you gave me your, I don't know if it was most recent book, but you gave me, um, you gave me a book and you had a bookmark, which was North Korean Won? What is yeah. the yeah? It was one hundred North Korean won. Yeah, and, I, and it, legal tender by the way in North Korea. Yeah, um, <laughs> it had King Kim Jong Il, I think was the uh, the grandfather was yeah. on it, and it is a hundred won. It still could be spent in North Korea. It cannot be spent here because of trade sanctions. Right, so be careful. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like to um, c collect weird dictator money also. Oh. But not, How do you not get that? The, yeah. Not the big guys, not Hitler, Stalin, or Mao, but uh -huh. pretty much anyone else. Yeah. How do you? How did you get that? Uh, you can. There's auctions. There's like currency auctions where uh -huh. they'll just sell some. Like for instance, uh, one guy I reached out to. He was like the first soldier in Saddam Hussein's palace, and and there was tons of suitcases just filled with currency mm -hmm. in the expectation that somebody would be running, and he just took one of the suitcases and has been selling off all of this who's 2001 issued, you know, dinars, Iraqi dinars. <laughs> oh my God. Amazing. Wait, is this like on eBay? Where are these auctions happening? No, it's like, there's like auction sites for currency. There's different sites. So, and you can even, you can even find them on Amazon, but I think they're a little more expensive on Amazon. Yeah. So I prefer getting them in auctions because I, I, I like to buy good amounts so they don't run out. Dictatordollars.com. <laughs> you should launch it. Yeah, yeah that sounds exactly. like a side hustle. Hmm? A side hustle. It could be, yeah. I mean, they're not really worth that much, so it's just a more a fun a fun thing. Yeah. So dirty money. Yeah, because no, because I'll find it's funny with the North Korean one. 
is that I'll give it to somebody and some people will back away. Like they'll move, put their hands up. They actually, you could tell they physically don't want to touch it as if you're mm. handing them like a cockroach or something. Well, I didn't know, I don't know if you remember this, but I, so I like took it back to my office and I'm like staring at this thing. And then I wanted to share it on social because it's so cool. And then I wasn't sure if it was legal for me to have it. And I didn't know if I would be outing you for having, so I emailed you to ask if it was okay for me to share this on social that, that you had given this to me. And you were like, yeah, go for it. But I, I just, I didn't know. I didn't know, I didn't know what strings are attached to this Yeah, thing. I think maybe that's why, like so, some people, I, I, again, smart people, I, I actually don't understand why they wouldn't, I said, why wouldn't you touch it? And Cause I'll like push it at them <laughs> and like, oh, I don't want to, I just don't want to touch it. And there's no, no one's giving me an actual reason why they, it's like, it's like 20% of the people won't touch this kind of currency. That's so interesting. Yeah. But okay, this gets into uh, another topic, yeah. which is uh, gifting. So what do you think about gifts? Which is a complicated topic. I love gifts. I, like I said, gifting is one of my love languages. Um, and I will buy Jason gifts, whether he likes it or not. But <laughs> he does not but like I do, it. I do not. He's like the only person on the planet who doesn't like gifts. Yeah, so no, I don't like getting gifts. Ah, really? Yeah. Why, why, Two you, people on the planet. Anybody here else? Here we are. Who likes? You know, the rest what? Of, the rest of the room enjoys gifts. I like gifts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're all we're all into gifts. I like I, I like, like giving gifts. Do you like giving? I gifts? like giving gifts. But you don't like receiving gifts because it makes you feel weird. Yeah, it makes me feel weird. It makes me feel like I don't know how to respond to the this person. Is it? Wow, you guys are like this is it brothers from another mother. Yeah, this is, that's exactly how I feel. It feels, it feels like it's, it's some burden has been put upon me to do something in return and I don't know what that thing is. Yeah. Also, I'm a very bad gift giver. So I don't, I don't feel like I have the skills to properly respond. See, I'm a, I'm hmm. a good, I think I'm a good gift giver, which actually means I rarely give gifts because it's hard to find the right gift for a person in situation. So I can't mm. just, it's hard to just go to a bookstore and buy someone a book and give it to them because they could just buy it on Kindle or they could buy it themselves <laughs> or whatever. That's why you get weird currency. Like, or yeah. you just find a gift and just keep giving the same weird, quirky No, because it's got to be like a narrative. Like, why am I giving this gift to this person? Mm -hmm. And so, for instance, uh, you, you know, I, I used a, a very good literary agent to sell my latest book. I hadn't used a literary agent in a long time and she really went above and beyond like I was really super impressed. So what I did was I had to go, uh, Rob and I, we went to a, an antique store on I think 29th street and down in the basement, I knew of one guy who sold antique dial phones like from the sixties. So we got this like classic olive green rotary phone from the sixties. And I sent that as a gift to the agent because mm. I said, oh, you were so good at making phone calls <laughs> this is like back to the basics so there's like a narrative to the to the gift i like that i like it i think that's a good that was a good move yeah it's like then it makes gift giving like it feels artistic somehow but yeah. in general it, that's hard like i have to go someplace i have to think of something mm -hmm. there has to be something done that was deserving of this but what yeah. if i like after this episode i was like james so good to reconnect whatever here's like a suitcase of weird dictator money like <laughs> Uh, you'd feel weird about it? Or you'd be like, this chick is so awesome. I mean, I'd probably, I, I think I would feel a little weird about it, but now that you just said it, I, okay, I, she said she would do that. So, <laughs> so now, now the door's <laughs> open. See, but you've actually presented it. I hadn't thought about this, but this is a situation in which 
I would not feel awkward about giving a gift, which is the which is receiving the thank you gift. Like if you did something, if you worked together on something, there was some success, and you know that that person wants to thank you for the work that you did, and they send you a gift. That uh, this is wonderful because then it feels like the loop has been closed by me receiving the gift. I don't have to do anything in response to receiving the gift. Yeah, but I don't know because again, by the way, for people who have giving me gifts in the past. I've always been super appreciative. And then what happens is I don't know how to respond and I delay responding. And then after a week, I feel, okay, I'll do it next week. I'll respond. <laughs> and then after a month, it'll be like, oh, I should really respond. He gave me, or she gave me such a nice gift. And then it, next thing I know it's five years later and I haven't spoken to them. So that's really my problem with getting the gifts. Cause you know, if you occasionally, in our business, you get gifts from mm -hmm. like readers or listeners. And sure. I'm always super appreciative, but I just don't know how to respond. And I'm not very good with, I'm not very good with, I don't know, responding. I don't, I can barely return phone calls, let alone respond to a gift. <laughs> but how is that loop open if I'm like, yo, Jason, here's a birthday present. Like, that's your birthday, period, end of story. Because because the like, next thing that happens you. is that you My have birthday. a birthday. But yeah. I'm not, it's not a quid pro quo. Like, I know, but it feels like it. It yeah. feels like it feels like an ongoing thing. What's going to happen now? Am I going to are you going to give me a birthday present every year? Do I have to start giving you back? There's a there's an openness to this that makes me feel like gifting is now part of the relationship. I don't want it to be part of the relationship. But you know, that's the your birthday own thing, shit. That's your own anxiety. Yeah, but the like, birthday thing is weird too because now we know so many people because of Facebook and we know all, all the time when their birthdays are that it's like every day, all day, you could be just like, happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday. And then, I, you know, there are people in your life who are like, okay, oh, it's a busy day for me, but I got to call this person by the end of the day or else he or she's going to be really upset because this was the one day a year she wants to talk to me is on her birthday and then and she takes it real seriously and so i've lost like relationships friendships because i don't call a person on their birthday it's even that is like a lot like a i don't like i don't like doing things that are expected i don't call people that's on why their birthday i like either. unexpected gifts yeah yeah and i try to come up with creative ones especially after meetings and stuff like that like Mm -hmm. I think we talked about that I gave somebody who talked about in a production meeting a cat poo coffee from Bali yeah. and like you, tracked that down and sent it. And, and some cultures, like, have you ever had any meetings with like uh, Japanese companies? They're, no. There's always an exchange of gifts. Oh, yeah, right. When no, you meet a Japanese company for business reasons. And I've gotten like the oddest gifts. Like, what? so I used to make, I had a company that made websites in the 90s and there was some Japanese magazine that visited me, they wanted a website and they also wanted to interview some of, I was making websites for a lot of entertainment companies. So they wanted to have access to those entertainment companies. So they come, they barely speak English, they have a translator and they give me a gift of like a box of condoms. <laughs> so, and I don't know why, I was not like, that, that seems like an odd gift. Yeah, well like, they wanted you to be safe. Hmm? They wanted you to be safe. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. wanted me to be, I was, I had about just gotten married too. So it was like an odd <laughs> gift. And they didn't know so that, weird. they didn't know one thing or, or the other about me, so. Huh. You know, but I will endorse uh, through this conversation. I've realized um, uh, both of you have given me um, like small gifts that I, I would categorize less as even gifts and more as like amusing tokens. 
nice tokens, right? Which is um, which was the 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 North Korean wand from from you, James. And then for Nicole, she sent me um, a nameplate, which I know is a thing <laughs> you do for people where it's like you know a little nameplate that we put in your desk. You know, it's like has your name and then a title. Um, and so it says Jason Pfeiffer, boss bitch, which is the name of her book. <laughs> and I love it. It's on my desk. It's great. And so it's I like a great talking piece. It's a great talking piece. Michelle Pfeiffer, when she was in my office, was so into it. And then Nicole uh, made one for Michelle. Excuse me, was that a name drop? Uh, we should have like no, a yeah, hello. Like it's not you're you're reading into this. It's like Pfeiffer as in Pfeiffer. Yeah. It's like his sister uh, from another uh, mister. Really? <laughs> you know, probably if you go far enough back. All right. Ask AJ Jacobs to figure enough, it out. Fair enough. Uh but uh but I like those things because they were fun and they they were like interesting to me, but also I knew that they didn't put either of you out very much, right? It's like it cost Okay. However much it was within a dollar or two, right? But but I like, and I'm serious about this. I, I it's gonna sound like I'm not, but I like how you viewed the hundred North Korean won as a gift, but it was a bookmark in one of my books that I had written that I was giving you. Yeah. <laughs> so that was just like, oh yeah, of course he's gonna give me his book. But like right. the, North, the bookmark, man, that was a gift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is because because the because the book, if you know. So we, we all know of authors. We are all, we are all authors. We know we got a lot of books. We got a lot of all books. Right, and part enough. of the thing that we want to do is give our books to people. So um, so that felt perfectly reasonable, a, a, a regular exchange. Um, but then that was a little added something. That was yeah. something different. Right. It makes I think there's something different is interesting. But again, it's I still don't like, I give it rarely and I still don't like getting because then I don't know how to respond. But um, uh, uh just gonna say something, but I forget what it is now. But this is like a different episode because both of those gifts were like James and I just trying to pimp out our books and like do it in creative <laughs> ways <laughs> and That's memorable true. ways. So this is another so episode both, on how I mean, to get your you're both book good marketers noticed but, but by I, an editor yeah. in chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. <laughs> Although, I, but I think oh, like like again, there's a certain creativity to the to the gift, and there's there's a narrative to it somehow, and. Uh, I think that's always fun if it's planned in the right way and if it's done rarely. So, right. uh, so the uh, great, you know what the great lesson, the great takeaway from this, from that, I hadn't even thought about that, but you're totally right. The great, the great is like when you're, if you're going to, if you're pitching your thing to somebody, um, be value forward about what they get. Yeah, totally. Like that's, that is what connects. That's oh. what people remember. I, I have a million people have given me their books and most of them, uh, unless I'm actual friends with them, most of the books end up in the uh, closet at Entrepreneur and then get donated to Housing Works oh. eventually. But your books, your books and your doodads that you gave me are all, they're they're with oh, me. Yeah. Okay, what, what do you do though? Like this happens to me mm -hmm. a lot. Somebody will meet me at a conference or whatever and give me their book that they self-published and it's not even stapled together correctly and they'll give they'll give me their book and it's like you have to read it can i call you next week to talk oh. about this and how i can like you know i'm sure you'll love it you're gonna want to make toys around this and uh, oh. and then i can never talk to that person again because i'm never gonna read yeah. the book i have a moment that haunts me uh about that it's not a big moment but it's like you know these little things that pop out of your mouth and um which is that we were at a, I, I was speaking at a conference and my book was uh, on sale at the conference. And afterwards, a guy bought my book, and then he came up to me to give me his book. And he said something like that. He was like, um, he was like, I, he was like, I'll make you a deal. I I want to. I'll read your book, and, and you'll read my book. And what I should have just said, just to be generous, was that's a deal. But instead, the thing that popped out of my mouth was, I'll try. 
Because I'm busy, and honestly, that was the answer. That's a oh, good but, answer. But then, but then they but keep talking not, to you. No, but that's such a. I thought. I thought as soon as I said it, I was like, "What a dick move that was." I'll try. Like he, this guy bought my book, and he's giving me his book for free, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'll try to read your book." I hate that I said that, but that is what. And what would you up. rather say? Yes, like call me on Tuesday. I would have just been like, "It's a deal." I, I don't know but that he would have expected me to do it. Might not be a lie. He doesn't know. Yeah. Maybe he opens up. He's like, "Oh my god, this is." This is the new Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, your your, your podcast is Hush Money. You did season one. Uh, how many episodes altogether were in season one? I forget. Twelve. Twelve season one. Then we've bonus. got every topic yeah. was like fascinating. Thank you. And Thank you. interesting. And and I'm always interested in the connection between sort of like life energy, not in a woo-woo way, but I do think your life how you view life and how you view money are, are, are interwoven together. And all of these issues touch upon that. And when does season two start? Uh, in the spring. Spring. What, what are some of the topics we can look forward to? Oh, what do we got? Uh, we got should couples combine finances? Should you work for free? Uh, Boom. I want to be the ooh. guest judge on that one. Come. Yeah? Yeah, because Let's... I actually have strong thoughts about that. About working for free? Yeah. For or against? Well, I'll, when I'm Ooh, when I judge your that's responses, what they call I'll a decide. Tease okay. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I think we have we all worked for free in some way or another at some point. Yeah, definitely, probably, totally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so in the spring, we haven't set a, a date yet, but we're we're uh, we're recording them now, all and right. we're talking in December. So whenever people listen to this, it's coming, it's coming. And and what else going on? I, Nicole, I forgot to mention you've written like two New York Times bestselling books. What, what, Boss bitch. What was the other? Rich Bitch was the first. Uh, Boss Bitch, uh, Becoming Superwoman just came out. Superwoman oh. Journal came out with it. Rich Bitch came back out again because it saw this resurgence or whatever this year. Oh, that's great. That's it. Just get all of Nicole's books. All the bitches. Get them all. And and what, what what else are you working on right now, Jason? I mean, obviously you're working on an entire magazine that you have to put out every month. And I'm yes. saying, what and a podcast. And I'm saying, what additional stuff can you just give to us for, <laughs> for almost nothing? Uh his presence is yes, our gift. Yes, exactly. Um, the gifts that I will not give you because I don't like giving gifts. Uh, well, so I guess two things. One, um, in case anybody's interested in a romantic comedy about two people who sleep together each week and then critically review each other's performance in a magazine, then I have Mr. Nice Guy, which is a novel that I wrote with my wife. And uh, and then also um, I've got this podcast called Pessimist Archive, which is a history of why people resist new things, which is uh, my, my second favorite podcast. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. And is that is that I I I didn't know about that one. Is that ongoing? Is that yeah, that's ongoing. It's okay. a it's a monthly show. It comes out. Of what what's what's some of the topics on that? Uh, the one that we just came out with uh, was teddy bears. Teddy bears extremely controversial in 1907. The argument was teddy bears were brand new at the time, and the argument was that teddy bears are going to replace dolls, and without dolls, young girls will not develop a maternal instinct, and thus the human race will end. Man, that sounds like just the doll military industrial complex getting down <laughs> yeah, on exactly. teddy bears. Big doll. Yeah, big yeah. doll was like <laughs> shafting the teddy bear. So, all right, well, I'm going to start listening. That sounds fun. Thanks. Um, and thanks for, for coming on the podcast. After season two, will you come on again? Because we can talk about all these issues. And then some of the issues I even wanted to talk about with season one, but we're, we're out of time. But check out, the, check out the should you be in a relationship with someone um, in debt. I think that's an interesting episode and concept. And, and who idea. pays on a first date? Hmm? Who pays on a first date? Oh, the man pays on a first date. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> oh, man. I, 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 I hold myself back so that we don't go on for another Which, by the oh, way, well, we, I... We ended the podcast on when you said, oh, man. That was the end of the podcast. <laughs> 
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.